I have a headache. I feel a headache coming on. Well, let's get this episode over with then. All right. Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? I'm in a congratulatory mood. <laughs> All right. I'm in the mood to dole out some congrats. Okay. Uh, no, I just wanted to mention that, uh, uh, say congratulations to not only a listener, but a fellow podcaster mm-hmm. and a friend of ours. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine. I don't know. How, I don't know how he feels about you. We haven't talked. Um, I've been on his show and we yeah. hung out at, uh, but at the Comic-Con. time, yeah, at Comic-Con. at the time of recording, uh, within uh, maybe an hour or two ago, Ryan Gallagher from the, uh, Criterion cast at CriterionCast.com, a really great podcast. We've both been guests on, mm-hmm. got married in Portland to, uh, his now, his lovely now wife, Charmaine, whom we also met at Comic-Con. I don't recall meeting her. Maybe you did. Yeah, you know what? You might have left early. Oh, that's likely, yes. Okay. From the bar, yeah. All right, well, congratulations. That's very exciting. Yeah. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Yes. I, so. we, uh, from all of us here at Battleship Pretension, we wish them a long and happy life together in Portland. Right, Jen? <laughs> uh, she just gave a thumbs up. I was expecting her to say, like, woo or something. Um, okay, yes, uh, my, my wife is uh, in the room, and... Uh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's a big room. It is a large room, yes. Um, so, uh, yes, congratulations, then. Very exciting. Also, another piece of business. Actually, a couple pieces of, pieces of business. Uh, one is that we have... Don't don't call Ryan and Charmaine's wedding a piece of business. Uh, yeah, that sounds mean. It's a union of souls. That That's pleasure. We got business and pleasure. Right. Ryan Gallagher is pleasure. You can he, he, he pleases me <laughs> twice a week on the Criterion cast. There you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, so let's let's uh, somber things up a little bit okay? and uh, get, get to some business. Um, one is that, David, when you say from all of us a battleship pretension, that's getting to be quite a few. Yeah. All yeah. right. It's We've getting g- crowded in here. It's... <laughs> yeah, so, okay, let me... I just want to do a recap because in the last, like, three weeks... <laughs> We've, uh, I believe, 150%. Uh, we've gotten 150% <laughs> bigger. Uh, so we've got blogger Daniel Bergamini, who's been cranking him out, David. Yeah, he's Very, Canadian. He is Canadian. There's no question about that. No, not in my mind, anyway. You hear the name ends in, like, you know, Eni, you think he's Italian, maybe. Well, he As, might still be Italian. He may be of Italian descent, but yeah. he's not from the boot. So he'd be, like, Italian-Canadian. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like a delicious pizza. <laughs> okay, now then. Um, but yeah, Daniel's really uh, writing some interesting blogs. He wrote one recently about uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim and, and the, the, the Blu-ray the Blu-ray uh, release and also talking about the box office uh, situation with, uh, with Scott Pilgrim, the travesty that we could all uh, uh, refer to it as. Um, and then uh, he recently talked about seeing Lawrence of Arabia for the first time on the big screen, That's which cool. is uh, very exciting. And so he's, so he's writing stuff. And then... We got an intern, Matt Warren, who's going to start writing pretty soon. Yeah. So as soon as he starts writing, I'm, I'm going to feel uncomfortable referring to him as an intern. 
Oh, okay. No, he's still the intern. He's not getting any like course credit. No. Well, I don't think so. Okay. I'll write a I'll write a nice letter of recommendation. <laughs> um uh and then we just got another writer, David, yeah. today. He's a someone that I uh that I knew socially and uh come to find out that he writes for the Nerdist uh podcast and website. Uh, his name's Kyle Anderson. And uh, I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to check out your stuff, and would you like to write for us as well? And he said, absolutely. And uh, he, he just wrote, I just posted a blog today, today being Thursday, so it, it's, it'll be available when you listen to this, uh, you at home. Uh, he decided to make quite a splash uh, with his first blog. He writes about the uh, Robert Aldrich film, uh, Kiss Me Deadly, which, uh, and he, it is very comprehensive. That sounds mean. It sounds like I'm saying... Oh, it's really long. But frankly, I, as a film nerd, I like that kind of thing. And you like that movie. I, I do enjoy that movie quite a bit. And I, you, you and I have a difference of opinion, because I'm not a big fan of that yeah. movie. Yeah. There's some stuff in it that really makes me laugh, yeah. but it's not supposed to, I don't think. Yeah, it's hard, to ex- it's hard to explain, or hard to determine whether or not it is meant to, or not, but uh, whether or not it is meant to. Okay. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm really tired. I've been, it's been a busy week for me. Well, let's let's just let's just start talking about the episode then. Oh, really? You don't want to you want to do the thing at the top? No, I'm saying let's get done with the announcements. Oh, okay. And then of course a reminder to everybody that December 4th at Meltdown Comics, Battleship Pretension Live. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Yes. Kyle and you Kinane, can Jason Nash, Jackie Cation, Mike Siegel. Yeah. Yours truly, his truly. Um Absolutely. Uh, five bucks, free beer. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, be awesome. And uh, and friend of the show, Adam Rebitaro, who uh, who designed the cool looking poster, has uh, created a nice supplement to that. You can find it on the video page of battleshipretention.com dot com, where he made a little uh, video, like a video trailer for it. And man, that thing's a delight. I'm okay. a big fan of it. All right. Okay. So, looking looking for a segue, not really finding one. Okay. So. David, have you seen any movies lately? Yeah, I saw 127 Hours. Oh, how was it? On Monday. It was great. That is a good uh, segue, actually, because most people know what happens in 127 Hours. It's based on a true story that was very well publicized at the time back in 2003. Yeah. Um, I certainly knew all about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have seen a few people that I follow on Twitter be like, you know, complain that they've had the movie spoiled for them. Yeah. Because I don't know if either they weren't aware of the story in 2003 or they weren't aware that this movie was based on yeah. that true story. Anyway, we're going to talk about spoilers. Not for the whole episode, but yeah. we want to just uh discuss spoilers yeah. for a second because I feel like I, this is really your uh It's something that I've jokingly uh complained it's about a thorn in, the past. in your side. I had to finish my thought. Uh, thank you. Uh it is it's something that I understand the idea of spoilers, especially on the internet. You don't want someone to spoil a new movie for you i i absolutely understand that and david i know that you're somebody who when you have the opportunity when you have the option of not knowing much about a movie really at all Mm -hmm. you will always choose that so that you go in pretty fresh or at least that's that's how it used to be it's more about um avoiding i avoid avoid marketing okay fair enough you know it's not like i want the story unspoiled because mm-hmm. I don't really care for the most part. Okay. Um, unless it's the kind of movie, you know, that you don't want to be spoiled, spoiled yeah. for. Apparently this, uh, 
This catfish thing has a big twist in it. Oh, okay. Are you telling me to wipe my wipe my lips? No, no, I'm wiping my own lips. <laughs> okay. That's weird. You're That's doing it very pointedly. <laughs> what do you think? David, you've got uh, a huge piece of food on your mouth. <laughs> sorry, okay. I'm sorry, go on. I don't know. What I oh, this this catfish thing, which neither one of us saw. Right. But you can read a review by blogger Daniel Bergamani. Canadian. Um... <laughs> um no, I, yeah, I want to make sure I make clear. I'm not like making fun of his Canadianness. I think it's really cool. That I we know. have a Canadian blogger. We have an international staff. Yeah. He's not getting paid. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Damn right, David. We'll get there someday. Yeah, we we'll probably have a donation drive coming up soon. <laughs> right. So, um, um, anyway, yeah, Catfish. Blah blah blah. Didn't see it, but that's apparently the kind of movie that has a thing you don't want to be spoiled for. Right. Right. And um, whether it comes at the end or in the middle, like a uh, you know movie like um, you know the Crying Game, which is one of the big examples, but yeah. that twist comes in the middle and but people that's, don't. That's expect an example it. I want to talk about because the Crying Game, it doesn't really change that much of the movie if you know that. Yeah, I, I say that because I knew it because I was alive in the 1990s. I right. know what happens, what the twist is in the Crying Game, yeah. and so when I finally got around to watching it, I think while I was in college, um, I was surprised that it happens uh, halfway through the movie. Yeah. And then I just went on enjoying a great... It's a great movie, by the way. The Crying Game is really good. It is very good. And I, I find myself... I know that I'm not the first one to say this. And in fact, I, I, I feel like... I don't remember if it was Ebert. Somebody... Some some critic that is very uh, well-respected put it, put out the idea, and I'm sure in a much more eloquent uh, way than I'm about to, in which they say that if a film is truly spoiled... Like, if it is ruined, you know, these are the words that are used. Oh, you ruined it for me. You spoiled it for me. If the movie is spoiled completely beyond any, where you have no interest in it anymore, Mm -hmm. then that movie's probably not worth that much. Now, of course, I say movies like Psycho, that definitely has a a twist that that Hitchcock himself didn't want things spoiled. That I I knew, I knew. As did I. You know. And the movie is... Six cents spoiled for me. Oh, and, really? Yeah, I knew that it took place on Earth all along. <laughs> um, uh, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, I knew I know what, Ro- I knew what Rosebud is. Was yeah. the first time I saw the movie. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Is the thing. And yeah, for the saying, for if, the good ones, it doesn't matter. I think if a movie can actually be ruined for you by knowing uh, the end, yeah, then. Um, yeah, it's probably not very good. I mean, I, I feel like, to some extent, Usual Suspects suffers from that. Yeah. Um, but even then, it's still got a lot of great sequences in it. You know, even yeah. though I don't like the movie as much as I once did, Brian Singer is still uh, a talented visual storyteller. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there. And that's the and this is going to sound almost like sour like sour grapes. I understand that you that you want to go in and have it be fresh at the very least. But to literally say that knowing a key plot point or knowing how it ends spoils the movie. I mean, the Im- the implication is, I mean, when you talk about spoiled food, you can't even eat it a little bit. You will die or just get sick or something. Uh-huh. And so to, to talk about a movie being spoiled or ruined because of this thing, you know, it's, yeah, I was with Psycho. I knew what the what the twist was. And that movie somehow only gets better. Uh-huh. Uh, and And it's just really... It's still exciting. It's still there's still something there, and so it's. Uh, I I do apologize if it if you're somebody who's who really gets upset when people spoil things, um, you know. And and I know that we spoil things on the show from time to time when we want to talk in depth about a movie that has possibly been out for a while. 
Uh-huh. Um, I know that we spoil it from time to time, and I do feel bad about that because someone wants to go in fresh, but at the same time, for quite frankly, for what our show, what we try to be, mm-hmm. we try to be comprehensive. We we try to talk and, as in-depth as we can about a movie. Also, not only is if a movie can be spoiled, it's not a good movie, but also a movie mm. is not a jack-in-the-box. Huh. You know? It's, yeah. it's a piece of art to be considered as a whole, and it doesn't... Mm-hmm. If... If the only if the only way to enjoy it is unspoiled, then how can you enjoy it more than once? That's true. You know, like uh, our our friends on the slash film cast have t- uh, spent a lot of time, and they they do it right. You know, they really do. They, yes, they, they they do a great job of talking about when they do the reviews. They talk about yeah. the movie uh, in sort of vague, like uh, vague. Not it's still an interesting discussion. Yeah, but uh, in sort of a review type of context at first. Yeah, um, and then. They have an actual discussion about the film, yeah, uh, and they make make it clear from here on out we're going to be spoiling the end of the yeah. movie. They do it very well for a, for a yeah. review based show. That's the way to do it. But um, what I was actually going to say about the slash filmcast is that uh, they have pointed out many times uh, since this summer that there became within internet like movie geek culture uh, this an idea that knowing anything about what happens in Inception was a spoiler. <laughs> well, a movie like that maybe. Um, but I I don't think it is I mean it's um, my feelings about the movie aside uh, I don't understand how these people could spend you know as much as 18 months avoiding spoilers about Inception because they're Mm -hmm. they're both part like of the internet film community and then trying to distance themselves from the main thing the internet film community is talking about it's a really like uh, almost like schizophrenic existence (laughs) I'm, I'm glad I'm glad I'm not one of those. Sounds vague. Oh, th- nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but um, they spent 18 months avoiding anything about it, and then how can it be your favorite movie of the year if it's only good once? Yeah, you know, if it if avoiding spoilers is absolutely necessary for you to enjoy the film, then that means that film is completely disposable. Yeah, and that it really is just a series of. And I think this can be said with uh, certain types of horror movies because horror movies are they're not necessarily about tw- uh, like a twist, but certain horror movies are very much about the the jump out and grab you or whatever it is I called it several weeks <laughs> ago. Um, but it's about the there's the kind of horror where you're startled, but once you know the startle you know the start is coming when you see it a second time, it's kind of ruined for you. But then of course there's there's somewhere it's a sense of dread, and those are horror movies that are meant to last. Those are meant to you know, stand up to repeat viewings. And uh, they both, if something is, if something's good for like one viewing, that doesn't necessarily make it bad, I think. Mm-hmm. But it just means that is, it, I, I think disposable is the perfect word. It's just something that like, how seriously are you going to take yeah. this thing? I kind of already feel bad that we're just talking about this at the top of the show because I suddenly realized that we could have an entire episode about uh, you know, d- talking about spoilers and and how how uh, how being spoiled for a movie affects the movie or your your viewing of it. Well, we still can talk about that just with more you know more in depth. Okay, so then next let's time Dave Chin is out in Los Angeles, we'll have him on because I know he's got strong opinions about this. Yeah, good call. Um, so. so yeah, uh, at the end of the day, it is the official opinion of Battleship Retention mm-hmm. that you sh- you should just calm down about spoilers. It's not that yeah. big a deal. It's yeah, it's especially something like 127 hours or I'm trying to think of another example like 
uh, Apollo 13 or something, uh-huh, right. or like or a reversal of fortune, where it's just, yeah, there's a reason that you know this story. There's a reason it's being told. Clearly, the guy got out of the canyon. Mm-hmm. You know, he got out from, from the rocks. How did he do it? Well, you might not know that one, but one way or another, you know that something... <laughs> Something had to happen, otherwise there would be no movie. Oh, boy. And I saw that movie. You haven't seen it yet, right? No, I haven't. Um, and, yeah, that, that the thing that everyone knows happens, that I'm still not going to say, just out of respect, yep. is, A, it's a very small part of the movie when it actually happens, but, B, still, despite mm-hmm. that, however hard you think it is going to be to watch this happen, it's worse. <laughs> and that's to a credit to Danny Boyle that it was I mean I'm I'm a bit of a squeamish movie goer anyway but it was still mm-hmm. one of the hardest to watch things I've I've seen. Oh man. But and that's also a credit to James Franco's fantastic amazing performance. David but, are you predicting Oscar? I don't I, I don't know. I'm not good at that. But right. I am saying that uh when it comes to our list we do, you know, around the we don't do our year end. We don't do year end best yeah. of like like most other people do. We tie it to the Oscars. So yeah. on the Oscars, we'll do our t- partially because it gives us a little bit more time to see stuff. Yeah. Um, around the Oscars, we'll do our our ten best, and then we'll do another episode that's like best individual achievements of the year outside of best films. And it, I will. James Franco is the front runner right now for best actor in my okay. of of the David Bax Awards. Oh, okay. All right, the backsies. Yeah, he's gonna get he's gonna get a backseat for best <laughs> best lead performance by a male actor person in a movie. Oh man, I've, I've they really gotta trim that down. That <laughs> I just started talking like a Joss Whedon character. Oh wow, you um, sure did. Anyway, maybe some residue from that uh, Sorkin episode. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about uh, we were we were talking about um, uh. Writers who are like screenwriters who are auteurs in a yeah. sense, you know. Um, and we talked about Aaron Sorkin and David Mamet. Yeah. Um, and uh, another friend from the like, Criterion cast, Rudy, sent us an email yeah. uh, saying we should add Whit Stillman to the list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Joss Whedon would definitely be one of those. He definitely has a, a style. No question about it. I have captainy things to do. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I would use that as an example of things I don't like about him. But uh, but no, he's a good writer. Wait, have you ever, have you watched Firefly? Yeah, all of not it? not the whole thing. Okay, but you know that li- I have yeah, I know the line. things to do. Yeah, <laughs> so that's funny. Oh. all right, it's fine. It's just it doesn't fit with like the captain of a starship. You know, you obviously don't know anything about Captain Malcolm Reynolds. <laughs> he's a bit of a ne'er do well. <laughs> Would you say he's a scamp, David? <laughs> yeah, he's not a Captain Stubing or Picard. Okay, all right, fair enough. I mean, he's not bald, apparently. Exactly. I think two bald you, captains. You really went for it. <laughs> um, uh, no, but he's, he's yeah, he's a, he's a scamp. That's, yeah, I understand, but, like, you know, I remember people saying, you know what, this is where we get in trouble. We can move on if you want. Okay, let's move on. All right. This isn't, we're not talking about TV, this isn't previously on. Previous time. Now, what, what is that, David? That's a it's a great podcast, a weekly television review podcast. Oh my gosh! Speaking of spoilers, um, I don't know. Uh, I do the gig, the jig is up. I do the previously on uh, podcast, but uh, I don't know what I'm thinking. I, like, I don't know what Sean and I are thinking because it's just all spoilers. <laughs> like, yeah. In order to 
be spoiler free and listen to the show, you would have to watch every show that we watch. Yeah, I'm kind of on board with you. Uh, more than one lesson for me to talk about these movies thematically, which is the only way I talk about them, by the way. I have to spoil them. Yeah, and, but at least uh, you're doing one thing at a time. We're spoiling enough. an entire week's worth of television every week. Now, now, I do spoil one new movie and one old movie. Oh, you're right. So, um, but um, that, that said, uh, previously on is great. <laughs> it's it's very good. I haven't listened in a long time. I have to assume they've only gotten better since I've heard them. We have actually. I've been very happy with the last few episodes. Glad to hear it. Uh, our our most recent one is the longest we've ever done it. Two hours and thirteen minutes. Um, wow, that rivals, I guess, our most recent episode. Yeah. So, but it's because it's chock full of good conversation. Absolutely. Um, is anyway. it not? Is it maybe not? Is it that and not that we're just getting more and more self indulgent? <laughs> and just can't th- stop ourselves. Every time someone downloads another episode, I'm like, I guess I could just talk more. <laughs> Everyone, they're liking it. Oh, uh, now we're talking. We got to do like, uh, we got to do like our own podcastathon where we, but it's just you and me for twelve hours, <sighs> and not a live audience, just us recording. That um, would be not fun. That'd be awesome. Um, not if it was just the two of us. If we had guests, still- I think we could do it. But yeah. I would feel. Like I was ripping off Never Not Funny and Jordan Jesse Go, yeah. who are both, which we already did. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. Good call. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get into it, shall we? Um, David, you had a topic idea that was very specific, and but I don't recall. Well, you... the inspiration for it was very specific. Okay, but then we I sort of branched it out because it's yeah. not an episode's worth. I was thinking about um, the the excellent movie, The King of Kong. The King of Kong, okay. Um, the, I'm sorry, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Indeed. Is the is the full name. And I was thinking about the the Billy Mitchell character. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit that this was something that Tom Sharpling from the best show on WFMU has said, mm-hmm. that um, Steve Wiebe, okay. who is the hero character. Now, please, uh, for those that have not seen The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, myself included, what's what's it all about? Oh, I didn't know you hadn't seen it. I had it's, not seen it. It's great. You would love it. I know I would. Um, uh, it's about... There's this guy named Steve Wiebe who gets he gets laid off. It's a documentary. It's all okay. a true story. He gets laid off and um, doesn't have a job and decides that it's gonna, he's, his new focus in life is going to be to uh, beat the world championship score in Donkey Kong on, okay. the ar- on an arcade, not on... Yeah, not on a console, but on the actual arcade game. He's a he bu- purist. It sounds he buys like. a copy of the arcade game, or he buys the actual arcade. You know, puts yeah. it in his in his garage. He plays a, a lot, and then he decide he goes to like a tournament type thing, mm-hmm. uh, only to find that the um, <laughs> the the world of these types of people, yeah, very cliquish, very insular. Uh, very exclusive. Yeah. Um, they don't like this interloper. And there's this guy, the current holder, his name is Billy Mitchell. Yeah. Um, he's the current holder of the title. And they all treat him like he's a rock star. When he's... In any in any other group of people, he's the biggest nerd in the room. Yeah, yeah. Um, Including this room. Yeah, seriously. That's really something. Yeah, he's a bigger nerd than I am. And you. And definitely Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. She's um, pretty hip. Yeah. She is, um, and I was thinking. So that that's the main story. And um, Tom Sharling has said that Steve Wiebe is 
painted as the hero, but yeah. this guy is not necessarily a good husband or father because he spends he has a yeah. wife and kids, but he spends all his free time not having a job and playing Donkey Kong, and he's kind of uh, is there money obsessive. to be made from holding this title? I don't think so. Okay. I haven't seen it since the theater, but I don't I don't think there's any cash prizes. Okay, but he's the hero, and Billy Mitchell is just. The perfect villain. He's so smug. He even yeah. has like they even like Steve Weeby is has sort of light brown to blondish hair, yeah. and Billy Mitchell has long black hair and a mustache. Like it's <laughs> it's just perfect. Um, I Does think he, he twirl mustache. the mustache? Maybe he doesn't David? have a mustache. Oh, okay. I can't remember. It's been too long. Okay. Um, but it's uh, it's nuts uh, how it's nuts how easily they fall into yeah yeah these categories, and so I would. Uh, yeah, this was spurred by Tom Sharpling talking about Steve Weeby, but I was thinking about Billy, Billy Mitchell, um, which I always feel weird saying because I grew up and was very good friends with a kid named Billy Mitchell. Oh, my. Uh, but uh, he, he's a good guy. He apparently goes by Bill now, but... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> anyway. Um, we know what you really are, Billy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was thinking about how uh, the, the idea of someone just being a natural hero or villain mm-hmm. in a documentary, which is supposed to be real life. And how often would that actually happen? Yeah. And uh, how often, I'm going to guess more often, is it um, due to manipulation on the filmmaker's part? Yeah. And so I, uh, that's that's very specific. So I, I sort of expanded it to, to, to think about the way that um, that narrative is imposed on... Yeah a real life story, a documentary story, yeah. you know, to make it, I guess, more enjoyable, more familiar. Well, and also, and again, you, we, we talked about Jordan, Jesse go, um, yeah. Jesse Thorne, when he, uh, a few years ago, uh, in hosting the sound of young America, when he had Ira glass from mm-hmm. NPR, uh, from NPR from, uh, what's the show? This, this American, American life. life. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> We're both tired, David. This episode's uh, going to be short. Yeah. I was up. I was up very late last night. As was I. Um, and uh, he was talking to Ira Glass about um, basically accusing this American life of doing the same thing, like taking hmm. what happened and then making a narrative so there's some lesson or something. Yeah. You know, forcing it into a narrative. So that's. I guess that's the topic. I still don't know. I'll have to figure out how I'm going to make it short and pithy for okay. the episode description. But you guys already know how I did that by now. Exactly. Um, so the, yeah, that's the topic. We okay. want to talk about. You want to talk about Nanook of the North? Uh, well, not just yet because oh, okay. uh, I mean, I guess I guess that's the way to start right there because I haven't seen it and you have. Yes, and uh, and that's I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I remember that back in Chicago. Yeah, and, I used to uh, go to. Where'd you see, see it? Stuff. Uh, uh, that was at the. I don't know what the name of the theater was called. It was behind a bank on the like north, like west side, like way down Irving Park. Hmm. I don't know if they're still showing movies there, hmm. but I saw, I saw a few things there. I also, I also saw. Um, ah, I'm uh, drawing a blank on the director's name. He made westerns. John Ford. No. Anyway, I saw a film called The Bullfighter and the Bullfighter and the Lady. Okay. It had it started Robert Stack, and. Damn it. Do you want to look this up? Who cares? Okay, go on. You're right. You're right. It's not the most important thing in my head right now. Wait, are you saying go on? You were talking. 
<laughs> what was I saying? You're talking about Nan- the, Nanook of the North. Okay. So, <laughs> famously, I was going to say go on because I'm going to look up. Oh, okay. Uh, we can pause. This is not This is not important. This is not the topic of the show at all. No, it isn't. And I know that um, our friend Josh Faden, because he's told me he does this whenever we can't think of the, of the name of... Uh, of a director or something, he's like yelling at it at his at his iPod right now. Oh yeah. Oh shoot. Anyway, well that's all right because whenever Josh is on, everyone else is yelling at their iPod, so it all works <laughs> out. <laughs> that's for you, Josh. All right. Um. All right. <sighs> Jesus. Okay. We ended up having to pause. Yeah. Um. Because I realized I had just gotten myself into like this uh, mental cul-de-sac that I couldn't get out of because not only <laughs> could I not think of Bud Bedeker's name. Yeah. Uh, how do you forget a name like that? Indeed. But forgetting about that made me forget about the name of the guy who directed Nanak of the North. Okay. But I want to make it clear that I was able to pull Robert Flaherty's name without looking it up. Yes, and then you looked it up to make sure you got it. Yes, but I, I did okay. get it. It's Robert Flaherty, and Bud Bedeker directed Bullfighter and, Le- Bullfighter and the Lady with Robert Stack, and it's a, it's a great movie, and he made uh, one million great movies Um uh, Tyler's a big fan of Bud Bedeker. I love. Man, so I, I don't know why you couldn't think of those. Uh, if there's two things name. I love in this life, it's my wife Jen, and Bud Bedeker. Yeah. And you know what? Depends on the day which one <laughs> I love more. Okay. Um, so Robert okay. Flaherty made Nanook of the North, which is about, um, I guess, an Inuit uh, gentleman named mm-hmm. Nanook and his uh, struggles day to day hunting seals and keeping his family alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and famously, I, I guess as, as most. Uh, Film buffs uh, are probably aware of now, or maybe just people who went to film school. I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, most of the scenes were were staged. Yeah, he, I mean, and uh, but I, I don't know that this is uh, it. It adds drama to it, but yeah. uh, at the same time, he's he's not um, he's not necessarily lying to you. Well, and I think. I think the reason that I that I brought it up is not necessarily because he's impo- imposing a narrative or even really lying. I what the reason that I wanted to bring it up knowing what I know is that a lot of stuff was staged or or at the very least uh restaged in some cases. Um is that the same instinct that led him to want to do that or at least see the necessity to do that. I think it's the same instinct that causes a documentary filmmaker to impose a a narrative or like a, you know, good guy, bad guy kind of thing uh, on a documentary, which is there's, you know, somehow there's not enough here or the real thing isn't quite as interesting as if I had kind of laid my hands on it to Mm -hmm. turn it one way or another. And so, you know, maybe the reason that he staged those things is because when they really happen, they're not that interesting to look at. Yeah, or he didn't have his camera there, or the right. weather wasn't right. It, as, even though this is, it seems like a bigger lie because it's staged than yeah. just manipulation of footage um, or, or choosing what to show and what not to show, this is actually, the Nanica in the North example is less problematic to me. Yeah. Because I feel like his intentions are pure. Yeah. Um, he's still telling a story about yeah. uh, Inuit people that is that is honest. And I think even if the footage is a is a lie, yeah, <laughs> itself, it's anyway. a lie that tells the truth, David. Yeah, um, the uh, that's what battleship pretension is, really. Yeah, man, ain't that the truth? Well, um, but uh, 
And I'm glad you brought up the idea of his intentions because I feel like, especially these days when, you know, when I go off yelling about Michael Moore or whatever, people are always ha- always have some kind of problem with something in a documentary um, because they're like, oh, it's not, you know, there's clever editing or whatever. Um, and I'm, in- I'm inclined not to just condemn the act of imposing a narrative because... I understand, like, having listened to This American Life, I'm not a huge fan of it, but having listened to This American Life, I understand why they do that. I'm not inherently critical of it, because at the very least, it might just be that the actual material is so raw and so huge and so broad mm-hmm. that you need something to shape it. Yeah. And if the narrative is it, then so be it. Um, so I'm actually kind of... Now, of course, there are some times when, when you wind up imposing something that's so rigid and so seems to be the opposite of what the subject itself is. And when you do that, then it's like, okay, well, uh, th- that doesn't sound right to me. Well, uh, I want to make it clear that, I guess, I don't necessarily have a problem with imposing narrative at all. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like um, maybe I should, and then I feel bad that I don't, because yeah. it is real life. Yeah. I mean, I like that imposing narrative and and casting the characters as good and evil in in the king of kong yeah it makes it a great great movie yeah uh but then i feel bad that you know there are probably some redeeming things about billy mitchell and there are clearly some uh <laughs> yeah less than savory things about steve Weeby. um but that's not the story that seth gordon was telling and that's it's yeah it's you do kind of have to go back and forth because you're you almost with that one, because it's, I mean, it might as well be Seabiscuit, you know, <laughs> where it's where it's this little underdog going up against, oh, shoot, what was the name of the uh, general? Was it the general or something? Shoot. Uh, I don't know. Man but of War? Maybe that was it. Man of War. I, I, that's that the famous right horse. Yeah. That sounds right to me. Some kind of uh, warlike thing. What, was it Mr. Ed? I'm just thinking of famous horses. Was it Zen, Was it Zenyatta? It was Hidalgo. Um, <laughs> thank you. Anyway, so uh, so it kind of, but you see this kind of thing all the time. This the David and Goliath story of, you know, this uh, this guy. Not only is he going up against, uh, you know, the champion, the reigning champion, but even all of his cronies and all that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And so there's an inherent drama to it that, frankly, I feel like any filmmaker would be, would be. I don't know. They'd have to be really strong. They'd have to have a very strong will to avoid falling into just like, well, look, this is a clear David and Goliath thing. If I just, I could just make it look like that. I guess if I wanted to, I could spend more time with Billy Mitchell and flesh him out as a human. But that lessens the drama, and I want to heighten the drama. Yeah. So that it's that's perfectly, perfectly acceptable behavior for a storyteller, yeah. and not so much for a journalist. And I guess that's the. Maybe yeah. that's the question of what uh, that's what I want to get at here is is a documentarian a storyteller or a journalist and that's and my my instinct is to say journalist um which is why while I don't want to be inherently critical of documentarians that do this um I sometimes can't really help it now of course I don't know I remember what when was this this was you know what this was my uh my more than one lesson episode about 
Religious, which I'm not going to go into the film here because I already get enough crap from it right. for it but as it just is. Just know that Tyler loved it. I absolutely. If there's one thing I love, it's everything about Bill Maher. Now, and um, then second and third, Jen, Bud, Bedeker. Bedeker. Yeah. Um. So, it's uh. But one of the things that I was which, discussing. Which movie do you own more copies of on DVD? The Bullfighter and the Lady, or Religious? David, who can keep track? I know you keep backups. I know you have more than one DVD player, and you keep one copy of each next to bo- both DVD players, just in case at all times. Exactly, you have some backups. Yeah, but the thing is, I the lend the them out. I lend them out all the time. You've got a locker at the airport, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, which uh, the FBI is watching for some reason. Um, <laughs> that's ridiculous. That whole thing was ridiculous. Um, but uh, but with religious, I, I think it was. Uh, my friend Nathan Potter, who put out the idea that like, should there be another another category now that there's documentary, which the idea is that you're documenting something and that you are, and we we discussed this when we had uh, Frank on the show that you are entering into a contract where it's like, all right, audience, I need you to trust that I'm trying to show you as much truth as I can, given the fact that I'm editing this thing, uh-huh. um, and I need I need you to trust me, and then I'll try to live up to that. So you get documentaries, and then you get something like a, I don't know, like an op-ed film, or you know, because there are plenty of very good films. Outfoxed. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, the corporation is another one uh-huh. where you have a clear point of view, and you have an opinion, and it's and it's it might be an opinion, you know, as based on facts or whatever, but like you you're doing what you can in the film to put forth your opinion and you may not feel like you necessarily have to put out the other opinion because maybe it's already been well represented or whatever the case may be. And I feel like, cause yeah, I don't, I, I mean, your friend Nathan said, do we need a new category now? But this is not a new thing. Oh no, no, no. I mean, documentary has always been maybe too broad a term Yeah, that, you know, everything from the thin blue line Mm-hmm. To Outfox, to the Corporation, yeah. to Olympiad and Triumph of the Will, mm-hmm. um, are all all documentaries. To Hoop Dreams and Stevie, you know, yeah. and those are maybe the closest to being, uh, I, I, I guess, journalistic in a way because they're. Well, it sounds. To, I still. But I don't know. know. I, I guess you could you could say the Corporation is journalistic, but yeah. it's also an editorial because it has. Right. It's it's almost it's not an editorial. It's a it's propaganda. In yeah, a way. and that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Yeah, it's possible to be a journalist and not be completely objective. A movie like uh, Good Night and Good Luck, or the story of Edward R. Murrow, is, I guess what <laughs> I should have said. You know, it, it illustrates that. Um, and if you want to be completely truthful, then in a way, I, I still haven't seen them, but I remember friend of the show Matt Champagne talking about the the works of Frederick Wiseman. Frederick Wiseman, yeah, which just is there's no narrative there. Yeah, it's he's got just, a new one now, Boxing Gym. Boxing Gym. Yeah. What's that about? It takes place at a boxing gym. Nice. But, like, who am I, who am I rooting for here? I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Okay. But, like, who am I rooting against, David? I, I have to assume, like, there's some kind of boxing champion who's let success go to his head and is Look, kind all of All I've seen is a still from the film, which is uh, uh, a young sort of maybe maybe an 11 or 12-year-old boy mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with, the, with the gloves on. So he's got to be either the hero or the villain. I bet he's the hero. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, he looks adorable. Oh, I, I are the are the gloves comically oversized? <laughs> not, 
See, that's that's to, to Frederick Weisman's credit. Not comically oversized. Okay. Like, just, just enough. Just adorably oversized. <laughs> right. This isn't a comedy he's making here. This is a serious <laughs> film. Um, but, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know because I th- now which of those films? Because I know you you like the corporation, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, and I, I like Fahrenheit nine eleven as well. Yeah. You know, and 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 Sicko. Now, which which of these these categories? Which is I don't know commentary film, and then or one could say I'm a commentary or like investigative journalism or whatever. As opposed to just like a straight up documentary or whatever. But I don't think there is such thing as a straight up documentary. Hmm. But what I'm saying here is that what I wanted to talk about in this episode was like narrative documentaries. Right, right. Okay. Documentaries were in the, the, the story of the film is a story that could. Yeah. And there's a reason they're talking about making a fictionalized version of The King of Kong because it's a perfect story. Oh, absolutely. You know? And um, the thing is that it's not the way life really happens. Like, no. The King of Kong got a lot of footage. Hoop Dreams got a lot of footage. Oh, yeah. You know, over, I mean,. Uh, like over five years, I think. Eight years. Eight years. Yeah, yeah. But in those, I mean, the last four, they weren't following them around all the time. They were kind of checking in every once in a while, right? It's. I don't think so. I think they were still following them around. Uh, man, it's a long time. <laughs> it's a lot of time. That is, yeah, eight, eight years. Eight years. Jeez, Louise. I remember. Um, I remember when the film was not nominated for documentary. Of course, there was a big uh, to do, which is understandable. But I remember when I was younger, not understanding why it was up for editing i'm like well that's i don't recall there being any flashy editing it's like oh they cut out eight years into they cut it into a two-hour film yeah okay fair it's, enough well hoop dreams is closer to like two hours and 45 minutes but fair enough okay <laughs> um still not quite eight years long <laughs> exactly but you made me uh forget my point i'm sorry okay yeah but to get back to movies um you know we talked about michael moore in mm-hmm. these um these movies that are more propaganda than mm-hmm whatever um but i think the one of his that is the most a story yeah or, or has a story as its backbone would be roger and me um uh yeah i'd say that's about be, right because I'd, it has this narrative of him trying to talk to roger whatever from the uh from the from general motors i would say a, ah i feel like bowling for columbine is a close second uh I think Roger and Me is probably first only insofar as that it's very specific to Flint, Michigan, whereas Bowling for Columbine, Charlton Heston is in the, you know, Roger Smith role, uh-huh. but it's much larger and more sprawling and kind of goes in a lot of different directions. So, yeah, I'd say Roger and Me is, is the most story hey, But is, is Charlton... I haven't seen Bowling for Columbine since the theater because I oh, didn't my. like it. Okay. Um, is Charlton Heston there the whole time? I feel like that... I mean, is that like a stated goal to talk to Charlton Heston throughout the movie? I don't know if I it's feel like too... it doesn't come up until later. Well, he's but I could be wrong. the NRA, and of course Heston as the head of the NRA uh-huh. are put out there as the villains, or at least like some kind of like advocate for the true villainy, which is gun culture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they're put out there pretty early on. Uh, and it's not like Michael Moore says, we got to talk to him. Oh, he's avoiding us. Oh, he's avoiding us. Ha-ha, we got him at the end. It wasn't anything like that. But he's been put out there. His face and his image and his speeches are put out there throughout the film. And then the climax is when Michael Moore confronts him face-to-face. It is very right. much... But the point is, of the movie yeah. isn't Charlton and me. 
It's not searching for Shelton. No. Um, where Roger and me, from the beginning, the stated goal is to talk to this guy. Yeah. Um, and that's completely manipulated and put upon the movie. Because Very I much think, so. I think Michael Moore knew pretty early on he wasn't going to get an audience with the, with, with Roger, what's his name? What, what is Smith. It? Is it Roger Smith? Yeah. I guess you would know. You, are you guys related? He's my great uncle. Oh, okay. He's just an uncle, but he's pretty great. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody, <laughs> for that, that joke. Let's that was a good one. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know what else to say about Roger and me, but that, that, that Michael Moore is guilty of different kinds of manipulation. I mean, he also, in Roger and Me, um, uh, switches the footage around. You were telling me about this, about about the workers being pla- replaced by machines, and there was like some expo type thing where they were showing off the new things and they were yeah it uh and that's the thing is i think the the problem with somebody like michael moore and i'm sorry that it sounds like we're just bashing him uh i know i've already bashed him enough but just he's, uh, he's a he's good at what he does he's very good at what he, he's a very engaging filmmaker there's no question about that but um but i think the problem is that he sees he sees a situation in this case the the mass layoffs and basically the crumbling of flint michigan um into one of the like worst cities to live in in the country, he sees that, looks at a lot of different aspects of it, and then starts to form a narrative in his mind that is very clear. And then when he finds something that doesn't fit that narrative, he makes it fit. And so one of the things is that, uh, just to make it a lot, Roger and me is actually more straightforward than his other films, but, uh, he wanted to make it a clear cause and effect thing that there was uh auto world, which was like a, mm-hmm. like an amusement park or just, you know, for car enthusiasts to come and visit. And the idea that is that, uh, the plant, the general motors plant got closed. A lot of people got laid off and then Flint tried a lot of different things to bring people in and to, you know, start up their economy again. One was like this huge, crazy shopping mall that didn't bring anybody in and wound up getting closed down. Auto World got closed down, and I think there are various other things. Um, And so it's just like, yeah, they tried all this, but it just wasn't going to happen. Well, all that stuff happened before the plant got shut down. Uh Like, it, it, all those opened before that. But that doesn't fit the narrative. The narrative is evil CEO Roger Smith shut down this plant, this... You know, this uh, town was flailing, trying everything they could to keep themselves on their right. feet, and it just didn't happen. Shame on you, Roger Smith. And so, so it didn't fit the narrative. Now, of course, if you if you if you were to flip everything around, Roger Smith did still shut down that plant and seemed rather callous towards the plight of that entire city. Mm-hmm. So the the basic ideas are still there, but the but. He just wanted it to be a little tighter and a little more clear and obvious and simple, um, and so, so with that one, I think I think I'm I'm much more willing to forgive the uh, the change the you know the changes that he made to the truth because the core truth is still there. Oh, okay. So um, sorry, okay, so I, that's, I talked too long about that. No, that uh, that that's one way of imposing narrative. Another another way is um, you, we we talked about how. Hoop dreams. They shot it over what three and a half years, about that. Yeah, roughly. Um, and then boil it down into uh, eight hours. I think. Right. That's the um, one. Yeah. 
Directed by Eric von Stroheim. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's that's just condensing time. And so, like um, another one I'm thinking of is capturing the Freedmans. Oh, okay, yeah. Which I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, uh, neither have I, but it's wonderful. It's, it's great. I've seen it. Um, and um, it also has kind of a narrative structure, uh, or yeah. at least a, I'm not sure what the genre is I'm talking about, but it, it, it has twists and turns. You yeah. Know? Um, and like stuff keeps coming to light, and it's it's paced in a way that's interesting to someone who's used to watching a narrative. Obviously, yeah. it happened over a longer amount of time. Yeah. Um, but uh, is condensing the boring parts as uh, as bad as, or is it even comparable to switching around the order of events? I think it depends on what the person is trying to achieve and what they're trying to evoke. With capturing the Freedmen's, it it feels as if it's a narrative film and as you say it's very twisty and turny and one of the big themes of that film is that no one can really know the truth uh-huh. no matter what anyone says it turned someone could testify you know 10 people could testify to this one thing being the truth turns out it's not yeah and and that's one of the things that i love about the film i do remember when i first saw it thinking like this is exactly what filmmaking should be why would anybody ever settle for less <laughs> and i know that sounds that sounds condescending but it was so, such an exhilarating film um, but one that's that's one of the things that I like about that film, and because it's so twisty and turny, and you never really know what's going to happen, it almost feels not necessarily like a thriller, but very investigative, and always uncovering new things. And so you really, if that's the tone you're going to try to create, I'm okay with cutting out some of the boring parts. I know that sounds awful, but I'm okay with that. Whereas if he wanted it to be more of just a documentation of like a court case or something. Sometimes court is boring. And so I feel like if you're trying to evoke the actual mood of what was happening, you have to leave at least some of the boring stuff in, but that's not what those, the the filmmakers were interested in. They wanted to get somebody constantly paying attention and constantly exhilarated by what's happening, even though the story itself is actually quite awful in many ways. Right. But I guess my question that I'll uh, rephrase or, sorry, re- or restate right. is, um, is is that way more acceptable than switching around the order of events, or is it just a matter of degrees? Uh, I think it's, I would say it's a matter of degrees. I don't know. It's It's hard to, because the minute you, there is a movie called Michael Moore Hates America, Don't Let the Title Throw You, it's actually surprisingly good, and in it, the documentarian talks to Pendulette. Uh-huh. And Pendulette says, kind of says the degrees thing. He says, in reference to documentaries, he says, look, you're going to fuck it up. The, the, the question is, to what degree do you fuck it up? Uh-huh. Which is, how much are you, gonna, are you going to try and guide what happens? Or are you just going to try and make it something that's palatable to, uh, not even palatable, but at the very least interesting to your audience so that you can get the facts across, get the story across, so I would say it's a level of degrees. Okay, but that's my like opinion. What's episode... your opinion? Stop asking me questions. Uh, as, as I was about to say, is that I I don't know. I have no idea. I feel yeah. like this is um, maybe a discussion that will be carried on. Hopefully, if if this episode of is, is of interest to our listeners, be carried mm-hmm. on in Twitter and email and on the message board. Absolutely, because uh, I really would like to hear other people's opinions. Because I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, like, most of the time I want to say. Uh, fuck it, what's important is the movie. But that's yeah. what's important to me. Right. The people in the movie are real people. 
And yeah. And so I feel bad saying that, and, and, and I, I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, they have to live with the image that is created of them. And it's just like, well, because I, I had this thought about Bowling for Columbine is there's an entire generation of people who, when they think of Charlton Heston, they think of him as the monster who did all these terrible things. And in actuality, he's n- not that at all. You may not not you may not like the NRA, and that's fine. But then he just becomes a guy you disagree with. But his organization really didn't do the monstrous things that Michael Moore painted it as. Yeah. And it's just like ah, that's a real guy yeah. who uh, who's in a lot of good movies. Yeah, and he himself was like a, a good man. Like he was a f- strong supporter of like civil rights and stuff in the yeah. '60s. And it's just I don't know. And also, um, the mo- speaking of, uh, let's let's take a second to defend Charlton Heston, okay? Because he was an awesome guy. Yeah, you might disagree with him on the subject of guns. Yeah, but like like you said, he, he supported civil rights. But there's also a great story. Uh, film geeks love Sam Peckinpah. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, there's a movie. <coughs> pardon me. Movie called Major Dundee. Uh, that he. Good w- day, mate. I knew it was coming. Yes, absolutely. I knew it was coming. Sure. Um, Major Dundee, directed by Sam Peckinpah, starring Charlton Heston, and uh, it's it's pretty good. It's not one of Sam Peckinpah's best, but it's mm-hmm. definitely worth watching. Um, uh, the studio was not happy with it and wanted to fire Sam Peckinpah, and Charlton Heston said, if you lose Sam Peckinpah, you lose Charlton Heston. I won't do this movie without him. Uh, That's he was, badass. He was the same way with uh, Touch of Evil. He, oh really? He insisted on Wells directing. I think, I think Wells was into. Uh, I don't know. I, f- I forget the exact order, but I remember Wells being uh, Heston being so excited to work with Orson Wells that he actually like really fought for him to have more control over mm-hmm. the over the film and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He might. He may. Not, he may not have been the most versatile actor that Hollywood has ever seen. Yeah. But he had good taste and he believed in movies. Yeah. And that should mean something. Uh, so yes, what I'm saying is choose Charlton Heston over Michael Moore. Oh, always. He was he he was more honest and forthright in his opinions yeah. and more respectable. Um anyway, back to the the topic at hand. Yeah. Uh in movies, I wanted to talk we should wrap up, but I wanted to talk about um I wanted and again, this is just going to be a question that I put out there. Okay. Um you know, I'll we, answer it. We talked about staging things. Okay. We talked about changing the order of things. We talked about condensing things. Yeah. Now, there's a movie that doesn't really doesn't do any of these, okay? Uh, as far as I know, um, and that's American Movie. Oh, all right. And that's a movie that, if you just look at the things that happen, it doesn't follow a narrative structure at all because it's supposed to be about the making of this film called Northwestern, and that falls apart, yeah, really early, and then it ends up Coven. sort of becoming about the making of Coven, yeah, or the finishing of Coven because the, they had yeah, started it. Like yeah. so, it, as a, as a story, it doesn't really work, but. It very much works as an, an emotional narrative. Yeah. Uh, Mark, what, what's his name? Mark Borchard. Mark Borchard, yeah. Um, does, in in the way of a fiction narrative movie, uh, undergo a bit of an arc uh, o- over the movie, you know? or Do you think so? I think he does. Maybe arc is not a bad, or is not the right thing, because I think he, I think he goes on a journey. And yeah. then ends up where he started, pretty much. Yeah, maybe a, maybe a little bit uh, maybe a little bit wiser. Um, but yeah, uh, that's. But you know, I, I just think about like his rant. On, he's like the part when he's um, uh, driving around delivering newspapers in the morning mm-hmm. and, and 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 talking. <laughs> yeah, that's it's almost like something out of Mike Lee's Naked. That that scene. Still haven't seen it. 
Oh, you should see that. That's, okay. a, that's a good one. Not a, not a documentary, but it was very good. So you're telling me there's a rant in Naked? Thanks that's... a lot for ruining the movie for me, David. <laughs> you're right. No, Naked is David Thewlis ranting at different people. There's oh, not okay. really a story to it. He just walks around being awful and ranting at people. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, he goes to some, some dark places. He has some real trouble, you know, uh, and sometimes he experiences joy, you know. Mm-hmm. Fucking A, I got a credit card. It's one of the best <laughs> lines of the movie. Um, no, he, says, he goes, uh, he's like, what, what, what is this? Oh, kick fucking ass i got a mastercard he's like life is pretty cool sometimes <laughs> yeah that's right um <laughs> oh what a delight uh but still that's um his emotional journey is so like mm. is something out of a written movie so yeah. uh how much can we trust that i actually and that's the thing is i don't i of course i haven't seen the raw footage i don't know uh what all is there but what I like about American movie is how willing it is to not impose too much because mm-hmm. it doesn't – first off, it doesn't seek out a villain. It do, one could – a lesser filmmaker could have tried to make Mark's parents mm-hmm. uh, a villain or, or whatever and tried to make Mark more of like a, a pure spirit man um, – I don't know why I always go into some weird hippie voice, yeah. but uh, but at the end, that's kind of what he is. But he get he but uh, the but, f- the filmmaker Chris something. Uh, I can't remember directors' names today. Yeah, for some yeah. reason, and we're both very tired. Anyway, um, he I, he almost does become a spiritual hero, but he gets there in a very honest and realistic way, in 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 a way that it ends up being more touching to me. I and that's the thing is I think that's that's the difference between you and me is it is touching there's no question, but I think the film reserve holds back its its judgment I think it holds back on making any you know assumptions or or coming to any conclusions because yes it's a good thing that this guy's going to keep going we're not a hundred percent sure if a the product he's putting out is good uh-huh. by and large the product we see in the film is not that good. Visually, it's interesting. Yeah, but, but the story is not he that should, good. He should quit, right? But, you know, but it's also saying that we don't know if <laughs> we don't know if this guy should be the type of guy that should be uncompromising. As, as that, awful the, as the that is, sounds, the movie is called American Movie for yeah. a reason. Oh yeah, um, not just because it takes place in the heartland. It's about a guy making a movie. Yeah, um, Mark Borchardt, for all his delusion. Yeah. Uh, and his and his stubbornness and his apparent lack of talent is mm-hmm. he is chasing the American dream. He really you know? is. He is trying to do it for himself. And I think maybe it's maybe I'm imposing on the movie my own beliefs. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I take away from the movie is that that alone is worth it. I want to address something else real quick before we. Okay. Do, uh, and this is something that's come Are up. Are you going to change the subject? Because I don't. I keep referencing other podcasts. This is something that's come up on the Paul Global show recently. Okay. They were talking about Greg Garcia, creator of uh, of uh, My Name Is Earl, and yeah, the, yeah. and the current Raising Hope. And they were talking about Napoleon Dynamite, and and sometimes filmmakers who are accused of hating their characters. Yeah. Uh, Alexander and, Payne has been accused of it. Robert Altman's been accused of yeah, it as well. And I'm with uh, Paul and Jim of the Paul Global show. That's. 99% of the time that's bullshit. Why would they make the movie if they don't I think more I think when someone accuses a filmmaker of hating his characters, it says more about the person accusing than 
it does about the filmmaker. It says that you are judging the characters. And so I, I, I just am standing up for Chris, whatever his name is. I think it's Chris mm-hmm. Smith. But uh, That sounds right. It's uh, always Smith. It's always Smith. <laughs> um, because a lot of people did accuse him of being mean and exploiting Mark and Mike. Uh, Fascinating. In, in, yeah. that, in that movie. Um, and that's not the way I see it. I see them as... Uh, yes, there's a lot of funny stuff in it. Yeah, you know when Mike wins two hundred dollars in the scratch off, and he tells the he tells the director, "Don't tell these guys though, because they want to borrow money from me." <laughs> <laughs> um, that's very funny. And if you are a judgmental, elitist, snide person, yeah, you're going to look down on them for that. But that's yeah. just normal funny. And uh, I think that the I think that the filmmaker loves uh, Mark and Mike. And I do, too, when I watch that movie. I think with that one, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's the thing. is One could say that the more you love the subject, I think this is very true of documentary, the more you love the subject, the truer, the more honest you're going to want to be about them. Um, and so I could see some people saying, like, oh, they hate them. No, they're just showing them honestly. Yeah. These guys are not perfect. They make a lot of mistakes. They're kind of goofy at times. But... It does allow them their little victories. Mike winning two hundred dollars. Mike quitting drinking. Yeah, over the course of over the course of the film. Or I think I think he he's quit beforehand, but he comes in from time to time and, and talks about it. And uh, now, of course, uh, I am somebody who occasionally will. I don't like the idea of saying something hates its characters, but I, the idea of co- being condescending, adopting a condescending attitude towards its characters, is something that I think filmmakers can do and often will do. Because you can tell, like, uh, I don't think the director or, like, the writer-director could have done a better job showing us this character's point of view. Instead, it seems like they're on the outside looking in, which, if it's a main character, they probably shouldn't be doing. They should probably show us more of what motivates this person as opposed to, hey, look, I don't understand why they do this shit. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to show it to you. Like, there is something that seems condescending about that attitude, but that's neither here nor there. And it certainly is not the case... Uh, with American movie, I think right. I think he a- absolutely loves those guys, um, but and that and it's and it is interesting that uh, you and I kind of take different things away from it. It is a very touching film, and but I like that it's not. I, I don't think it's content to merely be touching, and I think it's I think it's content to leave it up to the viewer and trust the yeah. viewer to take away from it whatever they want, which is more like real life. Oh, absolutely. So what we're saying is American movie. High watermark, best documentary ever made. No question about it. Okay. So, <laughs> at the end of the episode, we have four different topics. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, recreating footage, rearranging footage, condensing footage, mm-hmm. and then whatever we're calling American movie, which yeah. is uh, the best documentary ever. Oh, it's no, the right way to do it. <laughs> well, I I would say... It's, it's the right way to do it. First, find the most interesting person in the world. Yeah. Or, you know, or the funniest saying, person in okay. the world. So you're saying that Mark Borchardt is both the most interesting and funniest person in the world? Yeah, yeah. I'd that's, say he's That's like, why it's the best documentary ever. It's not, it's not a coincidence that the most interesting person in the world happens to be in the best documentary ever. It's true. It's the best documentary ever because it's about the most interesting person in the world. If there's a flaw in that logic... I can't find it. Um, <laughs> All right. There also is a just real quick a wonderful movie, uh, the the uh, Mazels. I think that's how you say it. The Mazels yeah. brothers. Um, do, th- they've done a lot of great documentaries. I've only I've unfortunately only seen one, which is a movie called Salesman, All and right, I think yeah. that's very much the s- it, it's done in much the same way. 
as American movie. The only difference is that there's not a lot of laughs there. It's almost pure awkwardness. Imagine Glengarry Glen Ross is for real, only somehow more cutthroat and incredibly and more awkward. And okay. that's what Salesman is. But they're just letting the camera watch the awkwardness happen. They're not imposing the awkwardness. And they're also not trying to get the the subjects out of awkwardness. They're not cutting away. They're just doing what they, you know, just trying to be true to the situation, which, I, as I've said, I think denotes a love for the subject and a respect yeah. for the subject. Um, well, as long as we're throwing out recommendations, if you like Catch from the Free, Catch from the Freedmans, you should check out a documentary called Brothers Keeper. Brothers which, Keeper. Uh, also, also about a court case okay. type thing. So, uh, that said... You can find us at battleshipretention.com or in iTunes. You can email us, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter feed of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review podcast, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. And, of course, uh, if you want to talk about this or other episodes, episodes along with any number of uh, other subjects you can go to uh battleshippretension.proboards.com or just go to the yeah just go, please, to, the website just go and, to the website and, and yeah and click through yes yeah. and as, so click uh, on forum and then it'll, that'll get you there as and Laura uh, taylor says on the bbc click through yeah it says go to bbc.com slash radio four and click through that sounds good um thinking a lot is the best podcast Thinking aloud, it is, it, and it's spelled like thinking permitted, like thinking aloud. A listener of uh, more than one lesson turned me on to uh, a podcast called The Risk okay. Podcast, which is a storytelling podcast oh. in which various people tell different stories. It, it is it's very This American Life esque, uh-huh. except I think they tell the storytellers beforehand, "Hey, this is the theme. Do you have a story that might fit that?" Right, and uh, it's very interesting, very very much so. Okay, but, uh, all right. So thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.